Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Before we start, I, I do want to just share my heartbeat with you for a second. When it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to everything that we do in the kingdom, this would be speaking of Sister Meyer and myself, everything we do, we look at it as trying to or expecting or anticipating that God's going to move and work through basically six different processes, if you would. And that's that, and I get this from the Word of God, but it's that, first of all, we want to feed. We want to feed the soul. We want to strengthen the soul. We want to heal the soul. We want to bind up what's broken. We want to bring back what's strayed. And then we want to gather. So those are the six things that are the heartbeat of who and what I am. And so with that in mind, we're getting into a new series And for tonight's sermon, teaching, whatever you want to call it, we're going to talk about an age-old conflict in our modern age, and we're going to talk about the flesh and the spirit. I was very excited when I got this, and I realize you're standing, but just bear with me for a minute. I was very excited when I got this this, uh, topic because this is in my wheelhouse. I'm very familiar with some flesh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm okay being honest about it. Um, but it's interesting getting up here and what I came into the sanctuary expecting and just what I'm feeling right now. And I would be concerned, however, God's going to feed tonight and through his word, God is going to do some strengthening and some healing tonight. He's going to do some binding up through the word. So I just wanted to explain that. Hebrew, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then I would like to jump ahead to verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto. If you'd like to be seated, you may. I'm going to start out with a question tonight. Have you ever felt that way? I'm not looking necessarily for an answer, but I would like you to evaluate for just a moment. And I'll read it again, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so I'd really like you to ask yourself, I I want to pose the question, have you ever felt strong in the Lord? Have you ever felt 
the power of his might. The second question I would ask is, when have you felt this or when do you feel this? When do you feel strong in the Lord and when do you feel the power of his might? And then the third question I would ask is if you haven't felt this, why not? Huh. Another thing, if you don't know this about me, I've come here to war. I've come here to war. I am at abundant life to war. I'm here to war for the kingdom of God, and I'm here to war for this church. I didn't come here running. I didn't come here with my tail tucked between my legs. God's brought me here to war for his kingdom and for this church. And so that's what we do because it's who we are because he's called us to be that. Amen? If I ask myself this question, I feel strong in the Lord and I feel the power of his might. I know exactly when I feel that way. It's not necessarily when I'm at work, distracted with the responsibilities of life and the day. But I know very specifically when I feel power and authority and dominion. If we're apostolic, we ought to be familiar with this. It ought not to sound or seem like strange talk. Speak of spiritual matters ought not to be foreign to us. Matter of fact, you speak of training and learning and practicing in spiritual matters ought not to seem foreign to us. Not at all. And I would say we can't afford for it to seem foreign to us because we are in a battle, we are in a war. We refer to this as being born again, being born of water and of the Spirit, as Jesus explained it to Nicodemus, right? And I, and I would say, up until the moment you're born, someone else is warring and fighting for you. In this walk with God, from the moment you're breathing, when God breathes that breath of life into you, that spiritual breath of life, you realize it all happened because of a war. The whole reason why we are born again of water and of spirit, it only happened because someone went to war for you and someone went to war for me. Someone in that war sacrificed everything. And so we were born, when we were born of the water and of the spirit, we were born of a war. And we're born into a war. And as long as we're breathing, the war does not end. We cannot make peace with it. We cannot come to an agreement. There is a war in our lives. Now, we war in the kingdom of God. We war collectively. We come together and we pray. And we war in the spirit. 
But there's also a personal battle and a personal war that each and every one of us is fighting, and, and you cannot get away from it, you cannot escape it. If you're born again, you're in a war. You see, it is the sinful nature, the sinful nature, it's looking to blind and ultimately bind the born-again believer and mankind. Don't think for a second that just because we've been born again, we've made it or we've arrived. It's only just begun. We've just received our birth certificate we haven't gotten the diploma yet. This is just the beginning. Because this sinful nature does not go away. Sinful habits, patterns, will hold even believers captive. You know, something about the, the flesh is it justifies everything it does. Ah, oh, and I just start thinking, I'm the king of justifiers. And I start thinking of the things I've justified in my past. And if all of us are honest, if all of us are honest, <laughs> we wouldn't have to look too far. We wouldn't have to go too far down that memory road, start jotting down a few little notes, and we would all agree that the sinful nature, the sinful man, is the king of justification. Because the flesh justifies everything it does. Some simple examples. Cutting remarks. Backbiting, unforgiveness, hatred. These things happen even, even within the church, even within the kingdom of God. We struggle with these things. Someone says the wrong thing, or perhaps we hear it wrong, doesn't take much <laughs> for us to get our feathers ruffled, left undealt with, turns into bitterness. Probably the cancer of the soul because we're dealing with this flesh. And I'm going to just say, too, I, I, think, I think we far too often give way too much credit to our adversary, the devil. We give him, <laughs> this flesh gives him a whole lot to work with. And it's true. The natural unchecked mind has become adept to shifting guilt and blame. You've heard it before, <laughs> you will hear it again. This is in our DNA. This happened on day one of humanity. It wasn't me, it was the woman. It wasn't me, it was the serpent. Interestingly enough, you look at that closely enough, Adam almost even kind of blames God. The woman you gave me. It's in our DNA, justification, blaming. But the battle between the flesh and the spirit rages on and on. There's no truce, no negotiation, 
No settlement is possible in this struggle. And there's no room for compromise. We cannot afford to compromise. So, I'm going to give you some of the battleground, or some of the, some illustrations of the battleground for the conflict. The first one, I'm gonna, and I'm going to go to biblical um, examples for this. I, I would much rather do that than, than speak of personal failings, or maybe we would go around and take some volunteers to confess your faults one to another, as the Bible says, right? <laughs> How about we just go back to the word and as, as, uh, <laughs> amen. First Corinthians chapter 10 tells us a number of times these things happen for our examples, right? For our end samples. Why? Because there's truth. There's truth to the word of God. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, right? And thy word, O Lord, is truth. This, this book has got some power to it. So the first example we'll look at, so I'd like to look at the life of Jacob, just briefly, just for a moment. And I just realized I never gave my scriptures to the sound booth. So if you'd like to turn there, you can. I'll describe it otherwise. We find it in Genesis chapter 32. This is where Jacob wrestles with the angel, Right? Wrestling is a very physical sport. It, it, it amazes me how much energy you use up when you wrestle with someone. I, I wouldn't even want to try it. Now I'm going back to the memory bank when I was younger. And, and it's very, very physical. And so Jacob is going to be my example of the physical battlefield. Now, it was in this wrestling match with God that everything turned for Jacob. God even changes his name. It was at this very moment in Jacob's life that God actually changes everything. And I would say it had to change, and what had to change was a physical thing. And there's some spiritual things going on too, but we'll get to that soon enough. But the physical had to change, and the reason why is because what Jacob did earlier in his life has examples of the physical. Okay, so if we look back at Genesis chapter 25 and verse 29, it's the first time that Jacob deceives or, or, or he takes something that's not his. There's not so much deception going on, but there is definitely a physical attribute. This is where his brother Esau comes in from the field and he's faint. And, and I love reading this. I love just really slowing down when I read because you almost get this overdramatic storyline. Or, or, or he comes in and he, the first thing we're going to get, the physical part, is going to be the, the scent and the smell. Esau, <laughs> I'm going to have some fun here. Esau in there cooking with his little girly hands. <laughs> making this beautiful aroma. And it's a physical thing. There's a smell to it. There's a scent to it. And the Bible says it's a red stew. He's enticing his brother. The reason why the Bible says red for a reason. Didn't Esau have hairy red hair when he was born? 
He's enticing his brother with this scent and the smell. And Esau comes in from the, the field and he's faint. Oh, just, Jacob, give me some of that stew or else I'm going to die. The Bible doesn't say that they brought him in on a stretcher, that he was totally dehydrated, that he was on the verge of starvation. He came in on his own. I can only imagine, too, if you think about details that the Bible doesn't give us, they're a wealthy family. They have servants. He could have waited a little while longer and had someone whip him up some food, right? But he had to have that. My point isn't so much about Esau here, though. It's about Jacob and enticing with the smell, with the scent, a physical thing. The, the next thing we see in Genesis chapter 27, when Jacob does deceive his father, how does he deceive him? He uses the physical. It's with a touch. Takes the goat skin and the hair and puts it on his arms so that when his father touches him, he feels the natural, the physical. And Jacob used that for deception. In Genesis chapter 30, we see a little bit more of the physical in Jacob's nature coming out as the battlefield of the flesh. When he's deceiving his uncle Laban. And I still, I've read this so many times, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. Perhaps we should try it at home sometime if we had more animals. But taking the bull rushes or whatever they were and splitting them and it has the white and the black and putting it in front of the sheep, the animals as they're breeding and it has a genetic effect somehow on the animals. Some of them are coming out, well, these ones that are in front of these reeds or whatever, they come out with stripes on them. And Jacob takes the strong and he sets them aside for himself because of an agreement he's made with Laban. And then when, the, the, when he sees the weaker strain, or the, they tended to be black sheep, it's <laughs> probably where black sheep comes from, when they're breeding and the lesser bloodline is coming forth, Jacob takes those, and those are Jacob's per the agreement. But what we have here is the sight, what you could see. And so Jacob takes all these things and it's part of what's in his nature and a nature that needs to be changed. The physical. We have the same issues and part of our, part of the battleground that we war between the flesh and the spirit is the physical. Now for Jacob, when he had that encounter with the angel, a physical encounter with the angel of the Lord, it changed him how? Physically. Yes, he got a new name. He's called Israel at this point. And yes, there's spiritual applications and examples and, and such that are going on. But God literally changed him from that very moment on physically. He no longer walked the same. He no longer looked the same. He walked with a limp for the rest of his life. God actually slowed him down. Uh, we could stop and preach there for a little bit. But we don't have time. <laughs> God changed his physical nature. And God will do the same thing for you and I. Because there is a physical nature in all of us that needs to be changed. 
Anyone here reach perfection when you were born again? Go ahead and raise your hands. <laughs> That's all right, though. It's all right. Because there's a physical battlefield in the natural, between the natural man and the spiritual man. The second example I'll give will be emotional. Within this human nature, there's this emotional issue, and it's men and women alike. For this example, I'm going to use David. And we see this if we were to study the life of David. David, unquestionably, was a very emotional person. We see this in his relationship with Jonathan. The two were knit together. And there's a strong overtone of emotion. There was a bond like a brother, a brotherhood. Perhaps more clearly, we see it after Bathsheba, when with David's reaction to Nathan the prophet, when Nathan gives him a story about the rich man with many sheep needing and desiring and taking what wasn't his from the lesser man who had the one sheep. David's response, does anyone remember what it was? Who is that man? No, I didn't do that good enough. Who is that man? Tell me right now. He must pay. It was emotion. Right? There was no discretion or discernment. Raw emotion. And on the flip side, if you can't see that, look at what comes out immediately following. When Nathan says, the man is you. And the next thing you have is Psalms chapter 51. Completely the opposite. Hmm. Psalm of repentance. From one extreme to the other. If you need more evidence, we can look at it just a little while down the road in David's life when the child is born to Bathsheba and God's going to take the child. And David is... Lamenting, tormented, he's, he's mourning and pleading with God for the child's life. But what happened the very next moment once the child died? Does anyone remember? He immediately got up, dusted himself off. He hadn't eaten for days. He immediately went and ate. And his servants were wondering if he had gone mad because who is this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? It was in one moment's time that it flipped because he was an emotional man. We struggle with our emotions. It's in our nature. It's in our flesh. We can't get away from it. It's true. We also see that emotion in David, and I've shared this with you before, but in the Psalms. That's why you can read one psalm, it's how great thou art, O Lord. And the very next psalm is how long, O Lord, must I wait for your help, right? And of course we see it in David's worship. Man after God's own heart, full worship, full of emotion. 
So it's not to say that the emotion is necessarily bad. That's not the point at all. The point is that there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. Right? Let, let me pause here for a second and, and flip over to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Everyone say walk. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Verse 25 says it again, and if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 17 is clearly telling us that there is a war that is waging between the spiritual man and the natural man. And that war is right here and right here. There is a war that we cannot get away from. So the first two places we war the battleground for the conflict is the physical, the emotional. The third one we find in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10, we see how Daniel is warring in the spirit. So the third part we're going to look at is just briefly is the spirit as the battleground for the conflict. And if you read through that, Daniel for 21 days 21 days. We should just pause here and I should have someone give me a sign-up sheet and we'll go ahead and we'll have a sign-up sheet right now and we'll have 21 days of prayer non-stop at the church. And once we start really thinking about what that would look like, for 21 days he's warred in prayer and there's no answer because there's a spiritual battle going on at the same time and there's a war in this spiritual realm where the prince of Persia is withstanding the angel of the Lord for 21 days. And so there is this spiritual sign. It's part of the spiritual battleground or the battleground of the flesh. This is all intertwined. We can't get away from it. The war will go on. There's crossover, if you would, between these two. The last one I want to look at before we press on would be Saul, the first king of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14, and I'd like us to turn there. We're going to back up just a verse or two. We'll start with verse 13. Before we get there, I, I need to point out that this is where David is about to be anointed as the next king of Israel. Saul is still the king. 
And he will be for a few decades yet. So Saul is the king of Israel. David is about to be anointed the king of Israel. And, and watch what happens here. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, something I want to point out before we go any further. And let me just double check this here. Yes. What did Samuel use in pouring out that oil with David? It was right there. A horn of oil. Does anyone remember what Samuel, Samuel used when he anointed Saul with oil? It was not a horn. Samuel used a flask. Perhaps a small pitcher. But it was not a horn. These things are not by chance. There's a reason why. Remember what Saul was. Saul was the people's choice. Saul was what was desirable for the natural eye. Right? He looked the part. Maybe he smelled the part too, I don't know. But he looked the part. <laughs> he was head and shoulders above everyone else. And I'll remind you that God was not ready to give Israel a king yet, but Israel wanted a king and demanded a king. And so he represents the people's choice. Now, the flask would also represent the natural, and the horn represents the spiritual, anointing, the anointing of God. You look throughout Scripture, and that's the horn represents the power and the authority, the anointing of God. And so you have the natural representation and you have the spiritual representation of the first king and of the second king. We're talking of the first man and of the second man. As the Bible says, the first Adam and the second Adam. Right? Huh. So watch what happens. Saul is still the king. David is now anointed king. And we, we read it that the Spirit of the Lord came unto David from that point. And then in verse 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, granted, we understand, we know, we know, t tonight we know, Saul did some things to cause this. He had an opportunity to be a great man for Israel, a great man for God, and a great man in, in the Word of God. He had the opportunity to be a great example for you and for me. His destination was not chosen for him. He had a choice and he made his choices. But the result of it was that the Spirit of God left him because he was always seeking through the natural. Didn't understand, couldn't see the incredible gift that God had given him, the incredible position of authority God had given him to lead God's people. Saul spends the rest of his life trying to kill things that needed to live. Hmm. Hmm. 
Because the natural man needs to, needs to lose this war. The natural man for you needs to lose this battle. The spiritual man needs to win this battle. The, the spiritual man needs to put on muscle. The natural man needs to decrease so the spiritual man can increase. Amen. And we see this clearly. There's a parallel in Scripture. And we see this in the lives of Saul and of David. So the result of seeing and living in the flesh, it caused the Spirit of God to move from him. And we see this example. It was the same thing that happened going back to the garden. Right? Where, where there's sin... Sin and God do not mix. Scripture tells us that. Hmm. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now let me just help your theology a little bit here. God is not evil and good. God doesn't have to have a specific grim reaper angel in his back pocket that he can utilize. What you have to understand is when we turn the lights off here tonight, when the light is diminished, darkness will just overtake. If God removes, he doesn't have to have a, a black angel or a black sheep angel. When the presence of God is denied, hmm, what will naturally happen, if you will, darkness will come in. And it's the same thing with Saul right here. When God was no longer welcome, when God's no longer welcome in our life, when God isn't the priority in our life, when we're not chasing after God, And let's just be honest for a little bit. When we get distracted with other things, and just remember, that is the greatest tool of the adversary. If he can successfully distract you and successfully distract me, he will, in effect, win. And so we see that here. When God's spirit is not welcome, the evil spirit from the Lord troubles him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, he shall play with the hand, and thou shalt be well. I just read that far because I just wanted to point out what happens here. Who's the man? Does anyone know who the cunning man with the harp is? You know why it is, because... Saul's men are smarter than he is. Saul, your problem is the Spirit of God is removed from you. And if the problem is that the Spirit of God is removed from you, the answer then would be obvious that you need the Spirit of God. Okay. Any blank looks out there? Here it is. 
the first man needs to be overcome with the second man. The first man is without God. The answer is the second man full of the Spirit. Right? The first Adam is the problem. The second Adam is the answer and the solution. The flesh is the problem. The spiritual man is the solution. Now, I know the solution is God. But once again, we'll get there. I don't know, maybe I won't hit the note of preaching yet tonight. That's all right. It was just a little different. I hit the notes. Horn, flask, natural, spiritual, flesh, spirit. The spirit of God. God does not give us, let this challenge your theology here for a second. The spirit of God. God does not give us his spirit or the Holy Ghost because because he can trust us with it. Could it be that he gives us his spirit because he can't trust us without it? God knows we need his spirit because we can't do anything of this in and of ourselves. It's going to take he who is greater within us, right? So, if you can agree with that, that the Spirit of God, or that is, God doesn't give His Spirit because He can trust us with it, but that He gives it us, His Spirit, because He knows we cannot be trusted without it, I will pro- pro- pose the question, what does it look like if we just interject His presence instead of His Spirit? Kind of the same thing, but is it that God doesn't necessarily give us access to his presence because he can trust us in it? But is it possible that he gives us access to his presence because he knows he can't trust us without being in his presence? Does it make sense? And I know the two are kind of one in the same. We've been filled with the Spirit of the Lord, right? We are now the temple of God. His presence lives within us. But this is where I ask, what are we pursuing? I think we've got to ask ourselves, where do we find our values and where do we find our passions? Where do we find, what things grip our, our hearts? What things consume our minds? I'd, I'd also ask, and just as we're taking inventory, I know for me things that I'm passionate about, I know of. Things I'm really passionate of, I know a lot of, don't I? I'll share one of them with you. It's my Bibles. Looks like just a normal Bible, right? This ain't just no normal Bible. Because I'm passionate about this Bible. I I can tell you of this Bible. Not just what's in it. I I could get that from a cell phone, right? But I can tell you this is on 36 GSM paper. That is from Europe. 
I can tell you that the leather is goatskin leather. It's top of the line. Because I'm passionate about it. Because we know things that we're passionate about. Right? So, if we're passionate about the things of God, we ought to at least know what's in the Word of God. Above and beyond just what we hear in a service or a sermon. We'd have to ask ourselves, because we're talking about what? The, a war that's going on between the flesh and the spirit. And I, I was given the topic, but I have to ask the question, if I'm going to do this right, if I'm going to do this well, how much am I feeding the flesh and how much am I feeding the spirit? Right? I'll put myself out there. I'll do it. I'll go this. I'll go this route. We're, we're, we're encouraged in this church to give of our time, talents, and treasures. All right? So, so in this moment, I'll, I'll talk about the, the, the time. It's 24 hours in a day, right? Take that times seven times 10%. What do you come up with, like 17 hours a week? If I were to just tithe my time? If we were just to tithe our time, I'm asking this specifically because I don't want to just give a flowery sermon or tell awesome Bible stories, but we're talking about a battle and a war between the flesh and the spirit. And I want to be real here tonight and say, you know, we are here to war. God has called us here to war. God is wanting us to war. And the beautiful thing is that he's given us the victory already. And all we have to do is engage. But the problem is we're going to engage in something. What is the priority? And thank God. Thank God we're here. Thank God all of us are here. It's a Wednesday night. You've got, you've got the, the committed crowd on Wednesday, right? But I'm just thinking, and just think through it with me, 17 hours, 17 hours of dedicated, consecrated time. Not, hey, I'm going to read my Bible and then I get distracted and go work on this for a little bit and come back and read a little bit later, fill my coffee up. I'm just trying to give us something to look at for a second. 17 hours if I were tithing my time dedicated to the kingdom of God. Doing something that would strengthen the spiritual man. That would put muscle on the spiritual man. Above and beyond just coming to church. We, we can throw in ministering, teaching a Bible study, preparing for Bible studies. We can throw in Monday night prayer because I want to throw in Monday night prayer. Because there's a war that we are engaged in. I want to throw in Friday night prayer because I'll ask the hard question and I will ask us to go ahead and evaluate our lives. And don't get me wrong, I know that there's things going on. I don't make it every single time to every single function. I'm not here warring every single moment of every single day. But I'm going to use it in this moment and in this time to go ahead and give us something to measure ourselves by. Friday night, we've got, we've got a, a youth service. You ever feel any youth in you? Then this service is for you. 
You may have something more important going on, and that's fine, but that's what I'm asking about. Is it really more important? Because this is a heaven or hell issue. This is a battle, a war between the spirit and the flesh, the, the natural man and the spiritual man, because there's a greater war that is going on. And there's power, not only in prayer, there's power in the consecrated man. Because the consecrated man is the spiritual man. And I'm not, pre I'm not preaching at you. I'm not coming down against you. I need to look at my own self. Because I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest. But is it more important? Is there more eternal value to it? And I gotta, I've got to drive this home a little bit more because this is real. There's nothing more real than the spiritual realm. Amen. All right. I can move on. It is the, the same regarding his presence. This is where the war is winning. I know how I wrote that. But this is where we're engaging and winning that war. When we're where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. And when that becomes greater... And I'm not talking about works here. I'm talking about realizing there's something more important than pampering this. The old man may be buried. We're buried with him in baptism, right? The old man may be buried, but if you are still breathing, the flesh is diligently biding its time for revival. And I use that word, I, it just came out and I liked them. Oh, revival. We think of revival, it's time to revive, right? I'm feeling a little cold. I've gotten a little, my, my spiritual eyesight's gotten a little dim. Need, need to pray through. Need some revival in my life. The natural man is wanting that revival. Hopefully not more than the spiritual man. Because you can't put it to death. If you're breathing, he's been buried, but he's still alive. Hmm. And yes, prayerlessness and carelessness activate the resurrection of the flesh. That, it, it's kind of a bummer, but it's just the truth. It don't take any, it won't take any effort on our part to put muscle on the fleshly man. Zero effort whatsoever. But it'll take effort to build the spiritual man. Now, granted, he's already done all the work. God has already redeemed us. He's done that work. But like I said, that's just the beginning. And the work for you and I has only just begun. 
Maybe, maybe if we were winning the battle out there for souls, we could rest a little bit. I don't feel like we're winning that battle. And I don't feel like we can rest on our laurels. So, the pursuit of God will reveal secrets of the flesh and know that knowledge is power. What I mean by this, when we're pursuing God, it's like entering that light. Entering that room, the lights are on, it exposes things and reveals things that we did not necessarily see or realize when we were in the dark. Make sense? God has a way of, oh yes, he's redeemed us, he, he's sanctified us, but there is that progressive sanctification process that is still going on because we still have this natural man. I, I, I tell my Bible studies, anyone I teach Bible studies, to, I tell them this all the time. If you're 30 years old and you've lived out there in the world and you've fed the natural man for 30 years and you come to, you come to an altar and you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new. You walk out that door and those old passed away things are just nipping at your heels. Because it's still alive. Oh, it's buried and you're forgiven, but there's still a process going on. And I'm absolutely fine speaking this and preaching this because we see how prevalent sowing and reaping the pattern of that and the principle of that is in the Word of God. You've sowed for 30 years, some of that reaping is going to follow you. Amen? It's definitely going to follow you in the natural unless God intervenes miraculously, which he can and does do. But you're still reaping some things. You're going to have to sow some more seeds because it's a biblical principle. And that's what we're talking about, sowing seeds in the spiritual. I'm going to say no to my flesh. I'm personally going to be here Friday night. Why? Because... Like I've said before, every time I'm here, it's writing another page on my heart. It's writing another page in my life. And I, I realize that, let's just break it down. Let's say I've got seven days a week, and I'm writing for six days a week, and, and the world is writing pages upon my life, and, and worldliness, and, and, and the natural man is getting six days a week written of pages, and there's only one day that I'm in the house of God and spending time in the Word, being fed and nourished in that can you imagine only breathing one day a week? Now I'm just getting all over the place. I'm talking about pages. That one page will rip real easy. But you build that thing into a book, you come up here and try and read my 36 GSM Bible, rip it in half. You ain't going to be able to do it. But you can take one page and do it no problem. Line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little, Right? Because we're building the spiritual man. Oh, I might have something better to do, but you know what? No, you're wrong. I'm going to grab that flesh, and I'm going to submit that flesh. And I'll remind you, what does Scripture tell us? 
It doesn't just say resist the devil and he shall flee from you. That won't do you any good without first what? Submit yourself, therefore, unto the Lord. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. We've got all the principles in the word of God. All we have to do is apply them to our lives. All we have to do is say, no, this battle is done. It's over. This is the day I'm changing the patterns. And it's not because I'm multiple personality. I just got this flesh that's chasing after me. And I tell young people this all the time. I got to stay busy for God. It keeps me out of trouble. You know what I'm saying? I got to feed the spiritual man. Otherwise, that natural man is just going to reach up behind me and drag me back down. It's true. Probably out of time. I need, Brother Kylie, three more weeks to finish. (laughs) Right. So, nearing closing, the landing gear is coming down. In Romans chapter 7. Ah, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. <laughs> but turn, turn to 7 just for a second. In chapter 7, and I'll paraphrase this. It starts out like this in verse 1. Know ye not, brethren... For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, I'll hit this fast and furious, and I'll jump ahead to verse 8. Paul writes this, but sin taketh occasion by the commandment, or the law. So by that law that Paul's referring to, it actually empowered sin. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Verse 10, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. What was supposed to save me actually brought death. If you get a little squirmy here and you're like, oh, where's he going? Just hold on. It's all right. I'll, just, I'll, I'll help you out here. Thank God that chapter 7 is right after chapter 6 and right before chapter 8. Okay? Because chapter 6... Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ also raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Chapter 7, what Paul's writing about, and let me just, let me just wrap this up for you. Paul goes on and talks about the law of the flesh, the law of sin, and the dominion of that. And he even says in here, I can't get away from it, I can't kill it. But what Paul's referring to, he's referring to when he was a Pharisee, when he was living under the law without the revelation of the rest of the truth that was available. He's referring to what the man I was when I was a righteous man of the law. And, and, and go ahead and take some time and read through it. And what I would tell you and what I what I would I need to know, and what we need to know in our heart is, we cannot stop moving forward. Now, we have all the revelation of uh, of the new birth experience and the Bible. We have all the information we need right here. There's nothing more going to be added to this. But we do need to continue to grow and to move forward in the Spirit. And there's 
gobs and gobs of scripture for that. Paul says in verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how I perform, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He goes on to say over and over again, this way and that way, frontwards and backwards, I should do the right thing, but I can't because it is flesh. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And bring, everyone say mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, thank God through Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so there's this war, and he's describing this war that even Paul, the great apostle, was not immune to. And thank God, verse 1 in chapter 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Not saying who sit not, walk. It's moving. It's going forward. And I'll remind you, did we, Ephesians, we didn't read it. I didn't have time anyways, but we were supposed to read all of Ephesians when we were there. Chapter 6 talks about the, the, the armor, right? All frontward facing. Doesn't protect the backside. Because we're supposed to be moving forward. We're supposed to be engaging. Why? Because we're in a war. The, the best defense, it's true. And it's true in the spiritual. The best defense is a strong offense. And we're in a war. You're in a war. I'm in a war. It starts here. Between here and here. Okay. Oh, I'm out of time. I'll leave you with this. In chapter 8, we've read this before. We know that to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's death in the, in the natural man, a carnal man. But there's life and peace in Jesus. I'll remind you, Paul's not writing to unsaved people here, right? And so there's a reason, because it's for you and it's for me. There's life and peace in feeding the spiritual man. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwell in you. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the spirit, spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. My last scripture I want to share with you is in 2 Timothy Chapter 1. This one's not in my notes. I just know we have to go there in closing. Second Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 6. 
King James Version, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I didn't hit on it strong enough, but you go back to chapter 7, do a little bit of study, and, and he refers to the, Paul refers to the, the, the law of the mind. When he's spe speaking of the spiritual man, there's, there's the part of the mind. Why? Because the heart that feels is deceitfully wicked. But we must know the word of God, and we must make a decision, and a decision is made here. I'm not going to lose this battle, and I'm going to submit this flesh. I want to read it to you in the ESV. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. I love that. Just think of it. There's coals in there that are burning. You fan coals into flame. Coals that have perhaps one, at one point in time there was a burning flame, but they've gone out just a little bit, and there's still a coal there. If there's even one little amber, it's enough. I know this. Fan it into flame. Breathe on it. Blow on it. The gift which God, the gift of God which is in you, through the laying out of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. That sound mind is self-control. And, and as we stand I'll submit to you, it's making that decision. And it's saying, not today. There's a war that I'm going to fight today. Not, not tomorrow. Hmm. No flesh, you're not going to win this time. This battle's too great. There's too much at stake. There's a soul. And there's a whole kingdom. And there's a whole world of people. Amen. So it started out soft and quiet, and perhaps it's ending that way. And I'll say it this way. It's simple, but it'll never be easy. It's all right. We have the answers. We have each other. We can encourage one another. It's simple, but it will never be easy. The pattern of victory is a pattern of sacrifice. How many times are we encouraged to be crucified with Christ? Why? Just think of it. That's where the victory was won. It was all about the sacrifice. Well, in there. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.